This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh the Horror. It's a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And we're off to see the werewolves again. That's right, we're taking a look at Joe Dante's 1981 classic, The Howling. Yeah, man. This is kind of like the the forgotten werewolf film of 1981. I, so there were like four werewolf films of 1981, at least just right off that right off hand that I can think of. So there was like Full Moon High, The Howling, uh Wolfen, which was kind of werewolf, you know, esque. And then as everyone knows, An American Werewolf in London. Yes. Um so that that's like the big one. So this film is kind of overlooked when it comes to that. But when you when you look at it as being a it's it is a success all in all. If you look at its box office, it made about eighteen million dollars off a one million dollar budget. So this was definitely like the super low budget version of a, of a werewolf film. Yeah, and uh, it, obviously we see a lot of uh, we could draw quite a few similarities, maybe to American Werewolf in London, mainly the. Uh, design and uh, some of the makeup effects that can be seen uh, in some transformation scenes, but this is still uh, it, it's uh, it's a lot slower paced. It's a bit more uh, uh, basic, you might say, in some regards, but also a bit more uh, lore heavy in a lot of other aspects. Uh, this talks a lot about uh, like the mysticism and kind of the occult type of like origins of werewolves and like what kind of like magic there is to them because uh in a in like classical like werewolf movies they don't really talk about like the actual lore behind them and this one kind of really delves into that right um before we before we actually even delve into the lore it's really funny that you said it looks like american werewolf style special effects uh so rick baker was actually working on the howling and doing pre-production on that before he ended up getting picked up for American Werewolf in London. Ah, uh, well, so there he, we go. he technically has worked on both. And then Rob Botin, who I guess I've pronounced Botten on numerous occasions, but apparently <laughs> I'm very, very wrong. Um, you are. He, he ended up following up and doing the special effects for that. Uh, he also was the guy who did the special effects for John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. So we are looking at a special effects extravaganza in this film with some fabulous transformation scenes uh, that are that are really different than what you would uh, normally I'm, expect. I'll say this. I think um, with the exception of maybe one, uh, all, almost all of them are unique where we like there are quite a few like just one or two solid money shots 
of transformations or effects in American Werewolf in London. This this movie attempts to kind of spread that out a bit more in the latter half of the movie because again, this movie is a it, it's quite slow slower paced uh, near the beginning half of this movie. Uh, we kind of are like sort of unraveling a mystery or like setting the scene for a mystery in the first probably forty five minutes. That we're right, just kind and, of... and this, but that makes kind of that makes sense. So this is based off of a novel, I guess, very loosely based off of a novel. Um, but you can see that it has more of a mystery style structure to it, and less yeah. of that Hollywood flair that you have with American Werewolf in London. Yeah, it's not really glossy. It does. It isn't exactly punchy because American Werewolf in London moves at a very like deliberate and f- yeah. not so much fast, but like a punchy, fun pace. Uh, well, this, this is, is this like, is not a comedy by any stretch. This is a no. very this is a pretty dark, you know, mystery type horror film. And then you're looking at American Werewolf in London, and it's just very, very dark comedy but you're laughing your ass off at the most in, most inappropriate moments. Yeah, exactly. A huge difference in the in the in the type of films and I think people wanted more of something like American Werewolf in London than they did probably The Howling. Uh horror was really hitting it big in 81 with a lot of very uh slasher and macabre type films, so I think having something that was a little lighter benefited and the fact that it won the Academy Award for best um special effects yeah horror was kind of at the height of its powers right around this time and started early early to early to mid 80s i would say i mean really as as far as the practical effects were being pumped into stuff people were people were paying for the most part there were there were a lot of hits and misses and that's kind of why it all started fizzling out in the late 80s uh, but this film, man, this film, is, it does play up as a pretty solid mystery. So we get Dee Wallace, who is always great in every single thing that she's in. She is she is great. Even if the movie is not great, she is. And she is a like a news anchor who ends up getting stalked by this guy who it's... Oh, man, it's played by Robert Picardo. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's very good. <laughs> Robert Picardo is amazing, and he has a transformation in this film. So he plays Eddie Quist, who is a serial killer, and people have been tracking him down, and he was stalking her, and then she sees this transformation but can't remember seeing it. Like, she blanks out on exactly what she was seeing. So this doctor says, because he gets shot, and they're like, no, he's dead. You know, you don't have to worry about him anymore, but what did you see? And this doctor, played by Patrick McAnee, who's great, man. He's he's so good in this as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of these. There's so many good character actors in this film, and it definitely does feel like it is based on a book or has that story structure to it because all of the characters feel a little bit more layered than you would expect from your traditional horror film. Most definitely, I. Uh... A lot of these smaller, even the smaller bit roles that we get to see in some of these movies have a lot of personality in them because of how good these character actors are. Because they're not even in for the movie for that much because we kind of iron it out to like five key players by the halfway point. Um, But a lot of our time in the beginning is spent in this sort of uh, news station 
where there are a lot of characters like kind of falling into play of like how to structure a broadcast and like what this show is structured around and like how to find this like seemingly in like non congruous killer. Well, uh, so so yeah, it, it's very it's very interesting because after the attack, she is. Uh, gonna do this expose and, and talk about everything that's going on, but she freezes up when she's going to do the story, and her boss is kind of just a jerk about this entire thing. He's he's not a good guy, and it kind of is a representation of what was going on, especially in the '80s and that type of news environment. You know, '80s, '90s, yeah. really kind of up until now. Um, and it, it was definitely interesting to see see that dynamic, and then t- she ends up going off. Uh, to get away with her her husband, uh, Bill, and things just start getting weird the second they meet all of these people. Yeah, and that's the kind of uh, th- this is where we kind of get into a bit more of the lore and kind of like society, almost witchcrafty kind of society yeah. that we have around this. Uh, Pact of uh, werewolf war cultists, you could say. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, uh, and this like to, is more. This goes more in the idea of the shapeshifter ability. Um, yeah, that that werewolves or lycanthropes have, where they it, not necessarily on a on a full moon they can transform at will. And I don't know exactly where in the lore that is, but there's something that deals with that somewhere. Um, right, and again, this is more of the like, oh, this is like I I play I surprise surprise I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and like we've dealt with like types of creatures like this before, where it's like it's not exactly a werewolf, but like it's kind of a werewolf where it can change its shape. At it, will it's like it's a skinwalker, st- you know, it's one yeah, of those type of of creatures um, that has they the don't ability. Outright say werewolf, werewolf, but it, it's right, but they, it's a shape, like, it's a shapeshifter yeah. in essence. It just happens to be more on the werewolf side of things, and I think yeah. what people uh, what what they've put as the Hollywood myth of werewolves, some of that is dispelled in this, and then some of that is followed in this, uh, being that silver will stop them. What I do really like in this is when people get shot with silver bullets. There's no big to do. No, they're just no. Dead. It's just. It's a bullet that will kill you. It's it's not it's a very unceremonious type of shooting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's poison to him. But then, you know, we're you're, we're waiting for some good gore and some good money shots in this film because you want that. You want that in this type of movie uh, we because do. you're waiting. It's think... a slow burn. And I think we get some good stuff especially with Robert Picardo's character when he starts going through that hell of a transformation. Uh yes, are we talking about the uh, campfire sex scene yet or are we <laughs> Oh wait, wait, whoa, whoa! Which one? I I'm now forgetting about the campfire sex scene. Uh, oh, oh my was, God! Uh, no, no, I no, no. That just wow! I don't know how I, that even. Yeah, know, I was gonna say, I'm like, how could you sex, forget that? That's like no, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa! All right, so wow. Um, <laughs> Rob got ahead of himself. Yeah, so we're we're you know when they get there, we're meeting a bunch of different people. We're kind of focused on uh, on Karen, which is Dee Wallace's character. But we start moving more towards Bill, played by Christopher Stone, and we're moving around with him for a bit. And he, oh man, Bill, 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 Bill. <laughs> 
Bill isn't getting any from his wife. And there's a scene where we see that because she's not, you know, I would say she's not really feeling well after being attacked by this guy. And I think there's some trauma there. Well, he is attracted to um, Eddie's sister, Marsha. Of course, right. we don't know that and Eddie and Marsha are related at this point, but that's beside the point. Uh, she's played by Elizabeth Brooks. She comes out basically almost looking like she should be the head of a coven. I mean, right. she's and so got that there's a, there's super a, they are, low They cut talk dress. about her in a very weird, weird, like awkward way where they're just like, yeah, she's just like a nympho. She's just really like slutty and like what? Okay, like, and everybody acts seeming like in this cult seeming like obviously acts very weird. And right. there's some older guys and quite a few other people that are just very like not really with it, but everybody else seems to just be like, yes, hello, with very hmm, kind of a thing, and they're rightfully yeah. so weirded out. Well, they, you know, they all live in this very private commune that has a very specific set of rules. Um, and, you know, they don't know really what's going on in the beginning. You know, when she gets out there with, with Bill, you know, they don't really know what is going on. And then Bill gets bitten by this animal and he starts acting a little strange. He doesn't know what happened. Uh, but when they get to this colony... He basically, after he gets bitten by this creature, she basically just brings him into, or, you know, they meet out into the woods and end up having sex. And then it's all crazy. The fangs come out. They're biting each other. They're having this crazy yeah, sex. Yeah, it's, it's, and then it's they a turn weird... Into they turn into a weird cartoon animation uh, of, of them turning into werewolves because I guess they ran out of money for the special effects. Well, here's the thing. I was actually kind of okay with that because I'm at, fine with the, it, but in, it's in just so it's it, so it, ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is ridiculous, but uh, it, without the sort of uh, I think like slower like because it was shot like in kind of like a good tasteful way of like it, like shot on him small transformation bit right. shot on her small transformation bit like once or twice going back to that and then they're full on, but then you get a wide shot of like them backlit from the campfire and then like there's this cartoon just like this again silhouetted cartoon thing of just sure. like their bodies kind of forming into wolves and i'm like okay like that's a fine way to like you know saving your like not blowing your load too early for a full-on thing no I, and, uh, and it's fine still, and I, it was one of those things where they did from what from what i've heard run out of budget for that scene and I, it was I, I kind don't of fault something them for that, that at all thrown. like i could easily buy why they would do that well, that's what was said by Joe Dante that it was a budgetary issue. Sure. So I, I, I you, you know, and, and, it, and it makes sense that it would be something that they would just kind of throw together and be like, "All right, this is what we're doing for the scene. This is what we have. We're just going to put it in there." Now, when we end up with some of the uh, transformation stuff, because we find out that Eddie is very much alive. By the way, there are two of of their friends who are playing detective this entire movie. Right, um, and, like, it's a very, it's an interesting sort of B story to, like, ground everything in, because we obviously can't just be cutting away from him and his story the entire time. And, and it gives it gives a lot of exposition. We find out a lot of information. So it's Terry and Chris that are going around 
finding out all of this stuff, kind of delving deeper into the mystery of what this colony is and what's going on there. And there were these attacks. And there's this great scene with Dick Miller in there where they're looking through trying to find these books. And the idea of werewolves comes up. And they totally oh my God, go I along love with it. it. Without I... question. There's no question if they're werewolves. It's... Do you think they're werewolves? Well, they might be. I mean, all of this stuff matches up. Well, okay, I'm with you on that. And they and again, I think that this is a very good, cool movie where like it's like it it ignores the whole like well, what's a werewolf? What can we like? Because they're like this is clearly a world where the lore right. of a werewolf is just well established throughout. Everybody knows what a werewolf is. It just happens to them. Sure, and that's that is one of those things in this that I appreciate. And I, I love the fact that we end up, you know, with Dick Miller just kind of about talking about werewolves and what you need to do in these situations and, you know, going through the lore with them. And it's a Which really he, fun scene to add. He into hilariously the explains this, by the way, because he sounds like basically like a, a, a Chicago street vendor at a book. Right. He's like, yeah, you, you, this guy, he bought silver bullets and he didn't water them. Can you imagine all this? It's a whole case. I can't believe this. Are you going to buy that or what? I take Visa, blah, blah, blah. Like, and it's it's so perfect. It's such a great it's such a great moment, but it reminds me at the end of the movie, even there's a post credit scene of one of the Wolfman films. Um, and it's really cool to see that incorporated into this because that's what, that's what this film is. It's a throwback to those films, but it's doing something a little new with it. Um, get, putting it into that R rated territory, you know, they're exactly. just like, Hey, what do we need to make this R lots of cussing? Great. We got that. Uh, what yeah. do we need? Nudity. Cool, man. Got that. And then they're like, what would make this work to do the trifecta? And they're like, can we uh, throw acid in someone's face and then shoot a bunch of people and have some people get bit and torn up into pieces? Yes, we can do that. Yes, you can. Uh, and, and, and I yeah. I like it for the most part. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I remember uh, when I saw this as a kid, I wasn't a huge fan, but... You know, I wanted something that was more action-packed throughout. You know, the older you get and the more, quote-unquote, mature that you get, uh, you start to sometimes appreciate different things. So going back to this film was great. It was really nice to, to go back into The Howling, especially since The Howling is a very long franchise that is absolutely awful. I mean, you've said... But like how okay, so how many sequels do we have officially for this for this series? Oh my friend, there are <laughs> eight howling films. Oh my. We uh, almost yeah, as many so, Fast and the Furious films. So it's it's weird because the first one is a horror film and it's based on uh, a novel, but the guy who wrote it was like, No, this doesn't really follow my book. And Joe Dante has even said he does not like the book. He even said it to the author, not even knowing he was there. Um, kind of Great. to his face saying, yeah, I hate that book. And he's like, cool, yeah, I wrote that book. And it's a very awkward moment. Um, so then <laughs> after this first one comes out, they decide they're going to make a sequel. And he, the guy who ended up writing the book, Gary Brandner, basically he came in and helped out with the sequel, Howling 2, dot, 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 your sister is a werewolf. Yeah, magnificent title. 
I oh no 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 the the original title Sturba Werewolf Bitch was the original title of this movie. Oh well, e- I mean that was just too good. That was too good of a title. They couldn't have yeah. just done that. So obviously they went with you. Wow, that's that. I mean, I, okay. So th- this guy amazing. clearly didn't know how to make a movie, let alone a, a screenplay. I mean, so the the guy who directed the second one, uh, Felipe Mora. He also ended up directing the third one, which was Howling 3, The Marsupials, uh, which is about a guy who falls in love with a half-woman, half-kind of marsupial, and they have a weird crossbred baby, and it's this strange film that shouldn't really exist. Uh, I mean, that sounds more fun than... I just like saying marsupial, so that, to me, just seems more fun, but I could obviously see why that's bad. And then we do that four more times right but 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 with with howling 2 it stars christopher lee so you can't really beat that it's christopher lee in an absolutely awful movie that is as it's very much like a very bad bad hammer film you know like when they were doing all the the hammer films for with the dracula stuff back in the day it's kind of like that i hear you uh it's goofy as hell. Then they make a fourth Howling film, which is based more around the book, which is the original Nightmare, but that was like a straight-to-video movie. Then they go with Howling 5, The Rebirth, in 1989, and it's like, guys, you gotta stop. Just stop making these movies. Please, Please God. just stop. But they're like, no, man, we're cool. We got this. So they make Howling 6 and 91, The Freaks. And it's like the freak show where there's all these other types of creatures. And you're like, all right, guys, you've done it. You've, you've, you've peaked out. You can't do any more. And they're like, no, we've got this. We're not going to call it Howling 7. We're going to call it Howling New Moon Rising in 1995. Also... And we big, keep going. Big, wow, big wow, wow. mistake because they were making a lot of werewolf films right around that time. Bad Moon and a couple of other ones came out too. And they weren't very good. So that kind of killed off the whole werewolf thing again. But then they're like 2011. We got this, guys. The Howling Reborn. And I'm like, wait, the Howling, like the rebirth? And they're like, no, 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 no. Not rebirth, reborn. Re re reborn rebirth. Yeah, apparently Here's not that question. good either. So you know, Here's my just, question: Does yeah. does any of them have a better transformation scene or a bullet removal via the person who got shot through his own head? Uh no way, man. The I'm gonna give you a piece of my mind and pulling the bullet out was yeah. awesome. And apparently, uh, Robert Picardo improvised that scene or that line when he w- had to pull the bullet out of his head. Oh, and I'm like that. I mean, that is brilliant. That that is that is commando level one liner right there. Oh like, yeah, that's a very like give me a piece of your mind and then just pulls out his brain. That, it's like, so that's great. Super and, fun. Well, the way but the I camera will... goes at that moment too. There's a lot of style in this film in some of those moments, and I like some of the transformation scenes that we get throughout. Like that transformation scene in particular when he pulls the bullet out and you see the little it was like air bladders underneath that are all pumping around, so his head is kind of like. His cheeks are puffing and his chin's like throbbing a bit. It's a very and, weird and thing. It's so such, like, it takes forever for it to happen, though, man. And it's like then mm-hmm. they repeat that sequence or they try to three other times. And I'm like, look, man, you just run, you run, because that's going to take two to three minutes for him to go through that full transformation it, again. I, I will say this: uh, 
it, it, I, I know that we invite the American Werewolf into London uh, for a lot of comparisons for this movie, but I will say well, that yeah, the obviously. transformation in American Werewolf was a lot more tolerable <laughs> than this one as far as length is concerned because this took like a solid... Like, I timed it. It's a solid minute and a half of yeah. just him just being like, ah, and him just slowly, slowly transforming. And I get the effect that they're going for, but it wasn't like we praise that transformation scene in American Werewolf because it's edited so well. It's shot right. perfectly. And it happens in a way where it's in the span of like 30 seconds where his body's just throbbing and contorting and every single shot is worth something. But in this, he's just like, you see just a slow, like, it, it's like his ears just come out from a slot in his Sure, head. sure. And, and, and I like, I understand the, that just because we're also looking at, at a massive difference, I think, in in budget. And I understand, you know, sure. when, you know, that stuff's not going to be perfect. And different talents being involved, sure, some were involved um, in the beginning. And but, not in the entirety of the, of the production. Yeah, yeah. But with this film... It was a different style of what they wanted to do with the werewolves. I think it was cool. I really liked what Joe Dante did with this because this is kind of like a traditional scene in a 50s film. It takes forever. It was very long. That was the big reveal, so they would take forever to do their big transformation scene, you know? Right. Uh, and then her reaction is jar of acid to the face. Which is, like, I do like that she waited for us to see that full transformation before she decided to throw that acid on him and basically incapacitate him because I, I she could have done it, that in the span of a minute and a half that it took. Doesn't doesn't matter. I think it was great. It was kind of like the, okay, you're done, so you might not heal from this if you're fully transformed. Like, he could heal from it, maybe, if he was, who knows how that works, you know? In her mind, maybe, you know? And yeah. so I just love that moment of there being that pause and then acid to the face. And yeah. it is great. And then he goes on this big spiel about how, you know, he can't be killed and everything. He's like, go ahead and shoot me. And he gets shot with a silver bullet and he just goes down. Then, oh man, Chris just goes on a spree. He just goes around just Man, shooting. he's on a tear everyone and first they don't believe him they're like nah man you're you're not i don't believe you at all and then he shoots someone and they don't get up and they don't get up and they still don't get up and then somehow some people don't believe him so he shoots a bunch of them and then they're like all right man sorry guess so and i, I it's it's the sort of climax culmination of uh the unraveling of this society that i've kind of really liked Oh but yeah! It, oh like, man, it, it's so been... it's it's good though. It's good the way they they go about doing it, and then everything that ties it all up. Yes, and I feel like I seeing the end of this movie. I'm like, man, this could have been like an extra 15 minutes that we could have just seen, rather than establishing who these people are in the very beginning. Because it took quite a, like again. I feel like if I had a major major complaint, it just takes a long time for this movie to get going. And yes. I could easily see people getting bored with it uh, until stuff just starts happening. Uh, yeah, no, there's there you're, great. You're... There's really solid payoffs in this film. Um, it just takes a while to get to that, and you're right. I mean, I would say things kind of get rushed at the end. You know, it's kind yes. of hey, we're going to escape. 
Um, we've just locked everybody in this building and we've just set it on fire, so burn! And some people were able to escape and were, you know, running after them. Um, mm -hmm. And a Werewolf gets into the truck after, uh, after Karen and Chris and she ends up shooting it, at, but not before getting bit and or scratched or bit one of those things and it turns out it's uh it's bill she oh, just no. killed bill uh, I, uh so i which was a which was a fun reveal and in the yeah. wrap-up to uh the movie her sort of reveal to the world that werewolves exist was actually again like you say that this isn't a comedy i find it darkly humorous at points and oh, I think dude, the there's a is moment kind of right best. at the end that I'm just I laugh my ass off at because before her snout elongates and you see her, she just looks like a puppy. She, she just does. looks like and it's with like the little quivering cute nose and everything. I'm like, this yeah. is like kind of funny and adorable. Like <laughs> like she had to turn into like a cute monster. To get shot. Yeah, it, it was very strange that that was the first shot they went with was this cute version instead of it being more of that werewolfy like character, which gives me more of that feel that this is very much not a traditional werewolf film. Yeah, or maybe it, it is. Maybe this is more along the lines of lore, uh, of the shapeshifter lore, which I think is actually more accurate in things that they're which not. Which again, I just, still like because it. Yeah. Like when she like reveals everything to everybody and you get like a montage shot of like all of these people watching the news and shocked at what yeah. they're seeing they're also like ah what a crazy thing they did they turned that lady into a werewolf what a what a time to be alive special effects huh and yeah no that was uh, that was Mick Garris yeah that was Mick Garris who directed a lot of the uh like sleepwalkers and some of the made for tv uh not made for tv well kind of made for tv Stephen King stuff i think Right. Um, he does a lot of Stephen King adaptations. So yeah, it was, I, I really like this film. I think it's, I think it's cool. She does the reveal and then Chris, you know, pulls the rifle with and shoots her with a silver bullet right on the camera to prove Which, again, to the world that great. werewolves exist after she does her story and there's this colony and they are among us and people need to know about this. They've been hiding and they've been feasting on people and apparently this has been a big thing. I don't know how many colonies there are. This might, this is obviously not the only one. This goes probably very you know global and stuff. So there was a lot that they could have gone with for sequels that would have been cool and the ending Man, the ending is people are sitting in a bar and they're talking about this and they're like, I think it was fake. And they're like, no, man, that was real. We just saw her die. And they're like, oh, man, that's terrible. We end up moving over and Marsha, Marsha's sitting at the end of the bar and she orders a burger. Rare. And she looks just... at the camera when she says it and they just put the burger on and you watch them cook the burger for the entire rest of the um, film during the credits. The credits. Yeah. And Which I think is... is very, very cute. It's great. It's such a a gleefully it's a tongue and cheek ending. kind of ending. It, it's very well, it's, like it's very like you know that if they do exist now people know our main protagonists are dead. She has survived apparently. She is uh you know the queen of the werewolves or something like that, you know. Right, yeah. Her her role is now established or solidified. It's a uh, it, <laughs> 
Like it, it, I, I like it because it's it sets up a world. This entire movie it does without um, throwing in your face too much. I mean, there's there's some stuff that's thrown out there, but there's so much that I want to know more about. And unfortunately, they made a bunch of sequels that are really really bad. That I mean, really really messed it up seemingly. They're good for a laugh, you know what I mean? But as far as what you've gotten from the original Howling, I want something that can follow up that story and the lore that was established in this. And I think that could be a very effective film. I I think so. I think the strength of this movie comes in its latter half. Oh, absolutely. Going forward, it does. And I think it's a tentative recommend for me, only for the sake of if you're willing to stick with it, because... I'm not going to say the movie wastes its time in the middle, but it is by nowhere like the stakes don't really come into play until well into the movie. Uh, it's a lot of movies in the early '80s, man. A lot of movies yeah. like this. It's 45 minutes of exposition where you're not going to get much going on, and then you're going to start getting some stuff. It, yeah, and I like I could easily see how that could could frustrate some viewers. Um, yeah, but like we like if you do if you need a werewolf movie and you need it to like you know get yourself going and like I want to see some either action or I need some plot going farther. There are other movies for that, but I think this does an interesting thing where it plays with lore, it plays with a sort of world and society that's established around it. I I it's definitely worth it for me. Um, oh yeah, it's absolutely worth it for me caveats. as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this this is just a it's it's a good solid werewolf film. It's got some really cool effect scenes. Uh, sometimes you know it's on a little too long. It, it's not the greatest werewolf film ever made, but it's pretty damn solid. And I think it's just oh, no. overlooked by a lot of people. I think it's just been overshadowed by uh, other films that have kind of well, especially that year alone. It just it totally got overshadowed. Oh, I, I completely agree. Like, what a shame for this movie to have come out the exact same year as American Werewolf in London uh, to yeah. just completely be overshadowed by it. Um, but it's still worth your time, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's going to do it for us this week uh, for this film. But we are going to be talking about uh, the 1989 classic Pet Cemetery. yeah i'm very excited for this because you you haven't seen this right never seen it never seen it oh man this is gonna be great oh (laughs) it's awesome uh so i'm pretty sure it was mary lambert i think who directed this film and she also directed the sequel uh which came out a few years later i'm gonna watch that as well and talk about that uh, I don't know if Steve's going to, but I will be at least, you know, throwing in a little stuff about that and a few things about the remake that are coming out soon. I'm kind of hopeful about that if they go the Suspiria route. Oh, yes. Well, that'll be interesting. So that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Feel free to check us out on the social medias that you all know and love, Instagram, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast, Stitcher, and all the like. Feel free to give us a review if you're so inclined because we really appreciate it. It helps the show quite a bit. And uh, thank you so much for the support and for listening. And uh, until next week, I'm Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. See you again next time, everybody. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, 
the dead. <laughs>